take our text this morning from the scripture reading, just two verses, Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 and 22. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time, nor nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. These are Christ's own words. This is part of the Olivet Discourse. And he spoke about a time that was coming, a time we haven't seen yet. Jesus referred to it as a time of tribulation. We know one of the doctrines in God's word is the doctrine of the great tribulation. This isn't a pleasant subject to preach about or to dwell upon, yet Jesus felt it important to warn his disciples, even back then, of a time that was coming upon the ungodly and the unrepentant. He did that to warn them and to encourage them to flee from the wrath to come. Well, that was an important thing for them to realize then, and certainly it's important for us to consider today. Again, he speaks of this time of tribulation. We refer to it also as the Great Tribulation. God's Word also tells us, it calls it a day of vengeance or the wrath of the Lamb. Again, it's a time that will be coming in the future. We know the next great event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. But we know this is an event that will take place after the rapture of the church and before the revelation of Christ or that second return when Jesus comes and actually sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. There's a time period in between. The church will have been taken out of this world and then right before the Lord returns again to set up his earthly kingdom. There's this span of time that the Word of God refers to as the tribulation. We, as a church and an organization, hold the pre-tribulational view. That means that we believe, according to God's word, that the church will be uh, raptured out of this world or taken out of this world before the tribulation actually breaks forth on this earth. We, of course, base that on God's word. It tells us that God hasn't appointed us to wrath. That's 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 also tells us in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 10, that those who wait for His Son from heaven will be delivered from the wrath to come. So we believe we will be taken out of this world before this event takes place. We also know that the Lord doesn't punish the righteous with the wicked. The Word of God tells us this is a time period that will last a total of seven years. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that, as well as Revelation chapter 11. The Bible says it will be a time of trouble. The sorrow and the devastation will be unlike anything the world has ever seen up to that time. Daniel 12.1 says it's a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. And again, Jesus reiterated in his own words in Matthew, he spoke of that time of tribulation such as was not since the beginning of time, nor ever shall be. 
all the wars and the disasters, all the catastrophes and atrocities of world history combined won't compare to this seven-year period. The Bible tells us it is a time of intense persecution for the Jews and for the nation of Israel. Again, it's referred to in Daniel as the abomination of desolations or the time of Jacob's trouble. Daniel 9.27 tells us that uh, during this time, it says that the Antichrist will have made a, a, a covenant with Israel. It will be a false covenant of peace. And halfway through the tribulation period at about the three and a half year mark, that Antichrist will break his covenant with Israel. He will have allowed them to build their temple and to set up their temple sacrifices and worship. But right during the middle of that time, it says that the Antichrist will enter into that temple and he'll desecrate the temple. He'll do away with their sacrifices and he will at that point set himself up as God and he will demand that the whole world will worship him. Of course, during this time, the Jews will realize they've been deceived and many will begin to uh, turn back to the Lord but they will also face the fury of hell and the wrath of all of the surrounding nations will be directed toward Israel at this time. It's going to be a devastating time, particularly for that nation. I believe what happens to the Jews during that time will make the Holocaust pale in comparison. The Word of God tells us that in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, that two-thirds of the Jews will actually be killed during this time. Yet we know that a remnant will survive and they will turn to the Lord. We read in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, we see a few of this remnant here. It says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed and there were, they were sealed on 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So we see that the Lord will turn back to the Jews during this time. And those that are sealed by the seal of God, He will offer them immunity and protection during this time. And Daniel 12.1 also says, At that time thy people, speaking of Israel, shall be delivered everyone that shall be found within the book. We know that the Antichrist will be the dominant figure during this time. The Word of God lets us know this will be a man who has given his power and authority from Satan. Revelation 13.7 says that power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This will be a man who will rise to power, and again, he will be given that power from the devil himself. Very good chance that the Antichrist may even be in the world today. We don't know who he is. We certainly know the spirit of Antichrist is already here. We can see it all around us, but at this time, we know the church will be removed and the spirit of the Lord will be taken out of this world. The bride of Christ will have been raptured, and in that point in time, that restrainer will be set aside and the Antichrist will come to full power. His power will be unbridled and unchallenged. The Word of God describes him as the man of sin or the son of perdition. Perdition means eternal damnation or utter destruction. He's also described as the beast or the wicked one. 
Revelation 13.8 tells us that all who dwell upon the earth, whose names are not written in the book of life, will worship him. It says he will cause all who follow him to receive his mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. That's in Revelation chapter 13. It says it will be the number of a man, 666. Also lets us know that those who refuse to receive his mark can't buy or sell. And those that refuse will eventually give their lives for choosing to do so. Those that do receive his mark will seal their eternal damnation. Revelation 14, verse 9 and 10 says, If any worship his image or receive his mark, the same will drink of the wine of the wrath of God. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So you can see what an awful position people will be in during this time. To refuse the mark means to literally starve to death. To take it means to seal your own damnation. It will be an awful, awful time. We know the purpose of the tribulation is actually twofold. The purpose of the tribulation is to purify and discipline Israel and to bring them back to a place of repentance and obedience. You know, the other purpose of the tribulation is to punish the ungodly and the evildoers. Nowhere in Scripture does it indicate that God is going to use this time of tribulation as a time to bring about a great revival. It's a very popular belief among some Christian circles today, yet there's nothing that supports that view in Scripture. This will be a terrible time. The Spirit of the Lord will be gone. This will be a time of intense persecution and a time of awful, horrendous calamities that will come upon this earth. There will be nothing that will draw men's hearts to the Lord. So I don't know where this idea comes from, that this will be a time of, of great revival. We know again that the purpose of Israel in purifying them, we read in Zechariah chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire, and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried, and they shall call on my name. And I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say the Lord is my God. So we can see this process of refining Israel, bringing the remnant of Israel back to the Lord. But we also read again, it's a time of punishment on the ungodly. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 2.5 says, After thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Not a time any of us want to be here for. The good news is we don't have to be here. That's the good news. We know during the tribulation, God's judgment and his righteous fury will be poured out in the form of horrendous environmental catastrophes. We read about those tribulation 
plagues beginning in Revelation 6 and running clear through Revelation 19 gives a description of the things that are going to come upon this earth during that time. You see that those plagues are comprised of three groups of seven. You have the seven seal judgments beginning in Revelation chapter 6. You go on to the seven trumpet judgments. Revelation 8 through chapter 11 describes those judgments. And then finally, the last seven judgments are referred to as the seven bowl judgments. In Revelation 16, you read a description of those things. Each judgment will increase in severity and intensity. The judgments will begin when Jesus opens that very first seal. You read Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. John had this vision of heaven and these seals, and no one was worthy to open the seal except Jesus, the Lamb. It says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. So we realize that this begins the tribulation judgments. First of the four, the first four seals we see as they're open is a description of forces and events that will take place on this earth. It describes the rise of the Antichrist as he comes to power. Refers to him as a rider on a white horse, and he's given a bow and a crown, which will represent power and dominion. And again, he'll come under false pretenses, and he will come as Satan's false messiah. Following his rise to power, we see wars and bloodshed will be increased. He will again break his covenant. He'll come in with false promises of peace, but Daniel tells us through craft he will prosper, and by peace he shall destroy many. And as a result, there'll be wars and bloodshed that will break out, and that is uh, displayed in the image of the Rider on the red horse, which represents war and pestilence, famine. A natural result of that, history proves after war and famine and starvation, uh, there, there comes a shortage of food and starvation. Revelation 6.6 6 says because of the scarcity of food during this time, a loaf of bread will cost an entire day's wages. I've spoken to people who were born in communist countries and Many who grew up and spent a lot of their childhood in those countries, and almost without fail, they'll refer to times when maybe they would go to the grocery store and the shelves would be completely empty. And there would be times, many of them as children, they said they would be hungry because there wasn't enough food. But this just affected certain regions of the world. But during this time, there will be a worldwide famine. Of course, following war and famine is death. We see that in the represented in the rider, the pale rider on the pale horse, and it says death and hell followed. Revelation 6 8 says that many will be killed by the sword and with hunger and by the beasts of the earth. Wild animal tax will greatly increase during this time, possibly due to the food shortage for man and beast. It's going to be an awful, awful time. But again, God tells us these things. As a warning, as a warning, we don't want to be here and we don't need to be here. We can make preparations to avoid this. We see the fifth seal being opened in Revelation 6, 9, and this is a vision of those who are martyred for refusing to worship the Antichrist. Sometimes they're referred to as the martyred 
tribulation saints. A lot of questions regarding who they are or how many there are or where they came from. Well, you know, we don't know those answers. But what we do know is they aren't among the raptured saints. These are those who were left behind to face the tribulation. We also know they will pay a tremendous price for their testimony. It says that Satan again will have unbridled power. He will have a campaign against anyone who dares to stand in his way. And there'll be mass persecution and uh, beheading, actually, of those who somehow maintain their Christian testimony. It says that power will be given unto the Antichrist to make war with the saints and to overcome them. I'll share a little excerpt that Brother George Hughes, this is from a teaching that he gave in 1952, and he spoke about the tribulation. He says, those who had failed to make the rapture, those who had said, if I do not get all that God has for me now, I'll go through the tribulation and I'll get along all right. You are going to run up against something. In the first place, this blasphemer of all that is good is going to be arrayed against you with all supernatural fury. Sometimes you come into the presence of a God-hater and it makes your spiritual, your spiritual sensibilities shudder. What is it going to be when you stand face to face with the Antichrist? What is it going to be when hell with all its fury is poured out upon you? I wonder if you will be able to stand and do as you should do or whether you will weaken under it. I don't want to be here to find out. Brother George didn't want to be here. I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. You know, I'm not interested in being a martyred tribulation saint. I want to be a raptured saint. That's what we want to strive for. And in fact, we can be among those that will be raptured and taken out of here. We see the opening of the sixth seal, and at this time we see a change or a shift in God's judgments. The first five-seal judgment, it seems like God uses human activity to accomplish His purposes. But at this point, He begins direct intervention. From this point on, throughout the duration of this seven-year period, we see judgment is poured out in the form of horrendous environmental catastrophes. These will be unlike any the world has ever seen. The environmentalists aren't going to know what hit them during this time. Truly, it's not going to be a result of uh, carbon emissions or greenhouse gases or a carbon footprint. These are going to be punishments sent directly by God on the unrepentant and on the godless. We read about earthquakes like none We've ever seen, I've experienced some aftershocks of some very small earthquakes, but it mentions the very earth, first earthquake that occurs during the first part of this tribulation. It says it'll be so severe that the mountains and the islands will be removed out of their places. There'll be a cosmic disturbance as all the stars of the sky will fall at that time, and it'll be such a horrendous time of destruction and death. It says that the inhabitants of the earth, both small and great, on and free, rich and poor will hide themselves in the rocks and cry out to the mountains to fall on them. And it says, to hide us from the wrath of God or from the wrath of the Lamb and him who sitteth on the throne. They will recognize that this is God's punishment and they will try to hide, but you don't see any indication that they will turn and repent. 
We read about a plague of locusts that will be unleashed on this old world. Uh, Revelation chapter 9 speaks about this swarm of locusts that will come from underground. In the 1950s, a locust swarm devoured every living thing for several hundred thousand square miles in the Middle East. But this will be unlike a swarm that the world has ever seen. The Word of God describes these locusts. It says they'll have the sting of a scorpion in the face of a lion. I can't even imagine what that's going to look like. But they won't hurt the vegetation. It says their whole purpose will be to torment those upon the earth for five months. And again, it says in those days men will seek death and they won't find it. They'll desire to die and death shall flee from them. We see storms here that will be like anything the world has ever seen. It talks about a storm of hail and fire mingled with blood that will literally destroy one-third of all earth's vegetation. We read about a time when the oceans and the fresh water supplies will all become like blood. It says all the living creatures in the ocean will die, further depleting the already diminished Food supply, trees will die, people will die because of no fresh water to drink. It says that the sun will scorch the people with a tremendous heat. Remember a couple of weeks ago when we had those 115 degree days? I think that's bad. Those will be like a balmy spring day compared to what the people of this earth will face during this time. I remember... One time several years ago, I was working on a roof and it was 113 degrees outside. No place to hide, no shelter, no shade. I only had to be up there for about four or five hours, but you know what? This is going to be something these people are going to be facing day in and day out. No shelter, the trees will have been destroyed, no shade, no fresh water. It says that those who took the mark of the beast will be afflicted with horrible sores on their bodies that can't be cured. It says, in all of this, it says that men will gnaw their tongues in pain, yet, it says, they won't repent of their deeds. They'll continue to worship their idols of silver and gold. They'll continue to worship the devil, and they'll continue to blaspheme God because of these plagues that he sent. A few other plagues toward their end. This is, we don't have time to cover them all, and we probably really don't want to this morning, but... A few more things that will happen right before the revelation of Christ. It says there'll be another earthquake greater in magnitude than even the first one. And it says at that point, the islands and the seas will completely disappear. They won't just be moved, but they'll disappear. I imagine the landscape of the earth at time will probably look at like just one flat, barren plateau. It says during that same time, God will rain down hailstones on the earth that will weigh about the weight of a talent. That's about 75 to 100 pounds. The biggest hailstone on record in the U.S. was about 18 inches in diameter. It weighed about 1.5 pounds. Try to picture in my mind what it would be like to have hailstones the size of a talent. The only thing I could liken it to would be like a, a bag of ready mix cement. It weighed about 90 pounds apiece. Imagine those something that size falling from the sky and the destruction and the carnage and the death that will result from these plagues. But it says even in all this, men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail and they repented not. 
These are just some things that are coming upon this earth. There's a fate far worse than even having to go through the tribulation, and that is to be cast into hell for all eternity. But we know that's not God's plan for the human race. The Bible says it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We don't have to be here during this time. This is a result of man resisting and rejecting and denying God, all the God-haters, all of the filthy and the vile. This is going to be a day of reckoning for them. Imagine over thousands of years of God's mercy and grace and love being spurned and over thousands of years of his blood being trampled under the feet of man. This is now a time of vengeance for those that choose to do that. But I want to end on a positive note here. Where will the saints, the raptured saints, be during this time? Isaiah 26, 20, it says, Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. The Lord invites us to this place, this chamber. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's where the saints of God will be. Around the marriage supper of the Lamb, Christ himself will serve us. I can't hardly even wrap my mind around that. Jesus himself will serve us. He'll hand out rewards for faithful service. In the meantime, all of this calamity is going on on the earth, yet the saints of God will be in this safe place with the Lord. There is hope. We can be ready for the rapture of the church. Tribulation and hell are punishment for all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. That tells me our names can be written in that Lamb's book of life. Jesus himself will write your name there. If you're not ready, if you're not saved this morning, avail yourself of the opportunity. Make the preparations. When the blood of Jesus cleanses you, when you surrender and you confess your sins and repent, the Lord will write your name in that book of life. You know, we have a personal responsibility, of course. The Word of God says we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. No one is going to make the arrangements for us. We must avail ourselves of the blood of Jesus. We must repent. We want to be sanctified and pure and holy. We want to be a part of that spotless bride of Christ. We want to avail ourselves of everything the Lord has for us. We want to be like those five wise virgins who had oil in their vessels. Their lamps were trimmed and burning. They were anticipating the coming of the Lord. That's our responsibility, our personal responsibility. But we have a responsibility to others. The worst thing any of us would ever imagine is having our loved ones have to suffer. Our unsaved loved ones, those we care and know about, to picture them having to go through this. It should grieve our hearts. I pray, God, give me a burden. Help me to pray for those. Share the good news of Jesus. They don't have to be here. We don't have to be here. 
You know, we can escape the wrath of the Lamb by being in the presence of the Lamb. We have a choice. You can be raptured or left behind. You have a choice this morning. What have you chosen this morning? If God is dealing with your heart, choose life. Give your life to Christ. Oh, you know, when you do that, God will drop that peace down in your heart. He'll make you a part of that bride of Christ. At that point, it won't matter what kind of calamities come upon this whole world because we'll be safe in the arms of Jesus. This day is coming. We know it is. But we have today, if you're not saved, avail yourself of this opportunity. The Lord has given you, says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Pray for those you love that are outside of God's ark of safety. God will save them. It says that as we tell others, not only do we deliver our own souls, but we'll deliver those that hear us. We have a responsibility. God help us. We want to be ready for that day. The song is 762. Let's come and pray.